God's good, amen, and uh, in that goodness, sometimes there's trouble along the way, and uh, so we come to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, where there's trouble along the way, and trouble even amongst, amongst God's people. So we recognize that Paul is writing 2 Corinthians as his initiative here. He writes starting with hope, that God's a God of hope, God's a God of comfort. He knows you need comfort. That's what this whole first chapter, first part of the chapter is about. But when we come to verse 17 where we ended last week, there's a segue into an issue that was going on in the church of Corinth that Paul needed to address. And it was an issue of his credibility based on circumstance and based on his navigation of plans in his life. Now, one of the things uh, I think we do well to come to this morning is to remember it is God who's directing, amen? It's God who's helping us navigate life and not just helping, but many times, very quite certainly, directing and leading in that direction, leading in ways that we did not anticipate or design, However, we do make plans. Do you make plans? Do you? Did you have any plans for Friday? What was this Friday of this week? Spend your money Friday. (laughs) Right? All right. Church family, you going to be honest? You going to be honest? Better not be lying here in church. (laughs) How many of you have ever gone out Black Friday shopping? Those are the crazy people among you right there. I've done it. You know how many times I've done it? Once. You know those flyers you get? Come and buy this $1,000 TV for $174. The one time we went out, we did it. I'm not kidding. We went to a store, and you know, I had never been. I'll never do it again either, I don't think. As long as I'm, well, I can't count on that either. (coughs) We went into a store. Some of you remember this story. We went into a store, and I didn't know how it worked. But the first people in line, you know, they, they were the ones that got in, they got the you know, the, the special deal, maybe like five, ten people in line of the hundreds outside. Well, we went in, and I didn't know, so, I, man, it was crazy in there. But I looked up on a shelf, the storage shelves, and I remembered, what's that called, the code? Is it a UPC code? Is that what it's called? Anyway, I looked up the SKU, the SKU number, and I saw a box up there that had the SKU number, and it didn't look like a special box or anything. But I asked the store attendant, I said, is that, is that this thing that was on sale? They said, I doubt it. I think those things went in the first two minutes. <clears throat> anyway, he went up on the ladder, and it was. And we got it. And we've had that now for, I don't know, several years. I'm just, uh, what's that got to do with the message? Nothing. Um, <laughs> except for you make plans. <laughs> except for you make plans. And yet God messes with your plans. How does he do that? Because he wants to. Why does he do it? He's got something in store for you, right? And what Paul had happened here (coughs) is he told the Corinthians that he was going to come see them again. And in verse 17, when I therefore was thus minded, did I use lightness? The spirit here is flippancy. And the issue is care. Or the things that I purpose, do I purpose according to the flesh? That with me there should be yea, yea, and nay, nay. And we talked about this last week. But the issue is that Paul's adversaries within the church, and it seemed to be there was a power struggle, that because Paul had a change of plans of coming to them, uh, there were those that were saying, see, at least appears that those that were saying, Paul is not led of the Lord, he's led of his own frivolous plans, and he's led by his own fleshly concern. If he really cared about you, he'd have been here. If he really cared about you, he'd really be here to see you again. Now, what that tells you is that too many times we are too quick to judge other people's motives. 
And too many times we're willing to assign to someone evil-hearted motives that a person would not own. Now, I can't speak to why we do that. Sometimes as in the church here, it seems like there was a power struggle. And do power struggles ever happen in a church? Sure they do. They're always debilitating. They're always, um, they're always detrimental. Why? Because your eyes don't get on Jesus. They get on people. And that's never healthy. So Paul is having to defend himself, but he's actually going to turn to the character of God and tell why it's important that, and I will say this, we've already covered this, but in the previous verses, he was saying he lived a holy life in front of them, and there's no getting around this, that the way we live does matter, doesn't it? If we don't live in a way that's consistent with the walk of God, uh, it doesn't commend the message of God. So Paul, though that was not his point, he did say the way I'm living is consistent that I love the Lord, I'm following the Lord, I serve, and I wasn't making plans just to be frivolous to you or self-serving to me. I really am trying to live a life that is surrendered to God's hand. Now, that is the plan that all of us should have. We may make our plans for Thanksgiving, and may make our plans for Christmas, and whatever happens between here and there. We may have our plans, but I'm going to tell you, if you're going to live in peace, your plans have to be submitted to a sovereign God. Otherwise, you're going to walk through life continually frustrated. You're going to walk through life continually fearful. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? Our plans don't need to be yes, yes in this circumstance and no, no in that circumstance, frivolous to the whim of the day. We need to be people who are grounded in truth. Grounded in the Lord. So, we live in a place, and by the way, the, this is the second part of whether this title fits completely or not, God-directed partnership. This is a part two in this latter part of this chapter. And in this God-directed partnership, it is resigning ourselves to that first part that God directs. And being at peace when he directs. There are times, now we're, we're, I don't want to steal a message from what's coming up in January in our first service, but when you look over 2021, what is your thought? Well, if you were to th look at it in my perspective, has 2021 been a challenge? You could say. And it's one of those things like, if you could rewind and do 2021 a little differently, would you? You know, there's, there's a part of you who wants to say that, but it's fruitless, isn't it? It's fruitless to even have those thoughts. And then I would say it's equally fruitless to go into 2022 and say, oh, what's it going to be like? First of all, the Lord may come back before that even happens, amen? But if the Lord tarries and there's a 2022, do you think God's going to be navigating in that year as well? So are you at peace with that? Are you okay with that? And, and, and if you're not, really, what's your ultimate end? And, and God wants us to be a people who are grounded in truth, at peace in truth, and living under his direction. Now, Paul is saying to the Corinthians, this is how I'm living my life. I'm not trying to make my plans to serve myself, and I'm not trying to be frivolous, but there is a recognition that God does change things. And when he does... We need to understand that God is the one who's true, and all of our hope focus is on him. Now, verse 18, but as God is true, our word towards you was not yea and nay. So here's what I want to say to everyone here this morning. Nobody is here, and again, I especially would say this for our visitors. You've, visitors, if you've probably already figured it out. If you're looking for the message to be better later on, Uh, people didn't come today to hear a great speaker. Why do we come? I asked this of our Sunday school class. Why do you come? You come to worship God. You come to be encouraged in him. You come to be anchored in the God who is. And really, when we read verse 18, but God is true and our word towards you is not yea and nay, we reference in this that God is true. And this is our message. And the salt or the power of any preacher 
is not based on his personality, but his veracity or willingness to stand on the truth of God's word. So that's where we stand today. And for those that have gathered here and online, that's why you're here, not because uh, it's, it's Thanksgiving Sunday and there's going to be turkey out there. It's just not because, hey, there's coffee in the foyer. You're here because we want to worship God together and we love the God of truth. It's refreshing to the soul to come. I would say this, I, I can't say this more than any time in history because this is our time right now, but I, I believe while the world is screaming for what is true, it's such a blessed confidence that you and I know where to find it. Amen. You and I know who to look to. And I mean, that goes everything from COVID to cancer to car crashes to whatever. And by, those were all C's, by the way. And, and, and whatever's in and whatever's coming. Another C, okay? I, I'm a preacher. I can do that. On, all right, so all right. But the point is, we, we, we come to the God who's true. And that God who is true is our message. And we live in that surrender of the God who's true. Now, verse, eight, verse 19 is where we're going to start taking time. And I will say this. As we walk through this passage now, I'm going to deviate not from the truth of this passage, but hopefully elaborate on the doctrine behind it. Okay? So what we're looking at is this message of Paul's life I'm not living my life based on decisions that I want to do or things I want to do because I've got a good plan. Instead, I'm looking to the God who is true. And that's the message I'm sharing with you, preaching to you by life and doctrine. Paul says that God is true. Now, verse 19. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, even by me, Silvanus, and Timotheus, was not yea and nay, but in him was yea. And the idea there is that in him was yes or truth or what truth is. And not a vacillating message of, well, it may be this or it may be that, but in him is the verily this is true. In him is the source, the beginning, the end of what truth is. And it's not a message that's developed to suit different people in different circumstances. The God of the Bible is true for everyone who will come to him. He's there for everyone that will come to him. And his message and his character is unchanging. So we come to anchor in the message of God's truth. Now, this then relays or at least brings us to mind of this concept of the search for truth. Is there a search for truth today? What do you think? I think so. So, what is the great question then? The great question could be two. It could be what is truth? And it could be where is truth? Now, in this place today, do we have different opinions? We have my opinion and your opinion. And you're right if you agree with. <laughs> are there different opinions? Are there different opinions on how to handle? What? Are there different opinions on how to handle COVID? You guys want to talk about it? No. We do talk about it. Don't want to. Who's right? It's crazy. It's right. And then in, in this search, when people don't know, then it becomes, which truth do you want to believe? Right? And are there a lot of different opinions? We just picked one, COVID. It really goes across the spectrum on all kinds of issues. Where are you going to find your truth? Where are you going to find truth? So some people are so arbitrary in it, they just live in the, in the knowledge that truth can't be found. Everybody's going to just do their thing. 
And by the way, that is what's happening. You're, you're watching a world that has lost its mooring in Christ, lost its moorings on the truth. And so what are people doing? They're pretty much making it up as they go. How's that feel? It feels incredibly unstable. So, it's not the first time in history. Go to your Bibles, John 18. Go to John 18. John 18, we're going to hear from Pilate speaking to Jesus, who's brought before him. And in John 18, there's a question of the authority of Jesus and who Jesus is. And Pilate as a, uh, a judge or Pilate as a ruler, one who was to carry out justice, is having a discourse with Jesus. And he says in verse 37, John 18, verse 37, Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king? Then Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born. And for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the, what? That I should bear witness unto the truth. And he says this, Every one that is of the truth does what? So right now, here, here's my voice. Right now there's a decision even in this room, potentially, of someone who's saying, and, and by the way, I don't, I don't disrespect this when someone says, well, who's that guy and, and who, who knows if he's telling the truth? I can appreciate that. And as I said already, you're not really wanting to hear from some man. You don't want to hear from some man what is true. You've got to have a more solid authority than that. Yes? So I told my Sunday school class, Lydia, um, I, I like this. I'm encouraged by it. She, she was on a flight. She was on several flights for Thanksgiving. So I'm guessing she must have had a layover because she told me about three different circumstances on, I think, three different flights where she talked to people about the Lord sitting next to her. The last flight was ordained by God, as all of them, all the navigation of life was, but she's sitting by who? A Catholic priest. So for two hours, they talked doctrine. And Lydia, at the, at the end of it, she tells me, and it's my paraphrase, but she says at the end of it, I said, well, I disagree with you on these points, but thanks for talking with me, and here's why I disagree, and, and she gave him that, and she has his number as a reference. He said, well, if you ever have any more Catholic questions, here's my number. Feel free to call me anytime, and now she's praying, Lord, what questions do I ask him to help him see the truth, and she said this, the problem is, Dad, they say the same things, but with different definitions, and here's my ultimate. I said, at the end of the conversation, did you see how what he was teaching in Catholicism led you to a place of having to trust in your works to get to heaven. She said, absolutely. So here's the point. Whether it's a Catholic or anybody else, you do not want to be anchoring your truth on what somebody else says. You want to anchor your truth on the God of the Bible, the one who created all, the one who made everything, the alpha and the, the beginning and the, amen. You want to anchor your truth in him. So Pilate says, well, let's read this. He says, art thou a king then? And then we've read uh, verse 37 where he says, everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Will you hear the voice of Jesus? Will you come to him? Are you a lover of the truth? For everyone who loves the truth will come to him. Pilate saith unto him, what is truth? And it's almost, you can read it in the language there. What is truth is this. You, you kind of get the idea of the philosophy of the day and the idea of the early New Testament. The era was a Greek and, and uh, a knowledge-seeking kind of a culture that... Uh, 
ascribed to various teachers by, by saying, well, I'm a follower of this person, I'm a follower of this person, I, I find who I am in identity by their set of teachings, and, and a lot of searching and, and piloting that arena knows all that, and I think he throws his hands up and says, oh, but what is truth? And you get a sense of the fatalism that he has in the, in the, in the reply. In other words, nobody knows it. What is truth? And, and what we have today, which has really been true of history, where people don't seek the Lord, is truth is truth as it is truth to them. So much so. You ready for this? Listen. So much so that today, I, I've, I've, I don't know why I do it. I shouldn't do it because it just drives you bonkers. But there are those uh, from various conservative institutions or conservative backgrounds who will go on college campuses and they will ask college young people, uh, <laughs> I don't want to call it philosophical questions because this isn't really a philosophical question. He, this guy asks, so it's a man asking the question, he says, can I identify as a 25-year-old black lady? Now, why? Because race and identification is all the flux of today that everyone's in turmoil about. And, and you know, to be politically correct, how do the college kids answer? Well, I mean, it's almost always, it's funny to watch. Their eyes almost always kind of go down and in kind of a, uh, they go down and usually divert. It's almost down, divert. Well, you can identify as anything you want to. And, and why are we in that place today? We're in that place because we think we can make truth to be whatever we want it to be. The problem with that is that calling something true that is not true will never make it true. And identifying things as people want to identify them when they are not those things does not make those things so. So I've got news for everybody here that everybody who's a believer in Christ and believes the Bible already knows. Guess what? I'm going to say it with all the authority of the Word of God, and I think it's anchored in truth. It's not the, it's not the message of the day, but it's an illustration of the message of the day. And that is this. God made two genders. And that's it. But in today's world, that's open for debate. And believers are going through the world, what? And appropriately so. Appropriately so. But listen, when you don't believe in God, you can follow anything. And you will. And there are people in this room that have loved ones who are struggling through that. Now, what is that? It is a, it is a, it is a person in life who's trying to find who they are. And their flesh is lying to them. The world is lying to them. And the world is positing questions to them that maybe you're this even at the youngest of ages. By the way... If anybody, I'm not, I'm not, this has never been a place where we have said homeschooling is, is the only way that you can raise your children. I'm a public school kid. But I will tell you, it's crazy what's being taught to the youngest of our society in public schools. If you are not aware of it, this whole idea of critical race theory, this whole idea of of physical identity is being proposed to kids and even around this valley if you think we're insulated that what the Bible says is so is not so and that there are multiple genders and multiple identities and, and by the way is the world passionate about it? Yes, why? Because this is all they've got. And they're grasping, trying to find their identity, and maybe I can make it up and finally find peace. There is no peace outside of the truth of God. 
So make up what you want. It won't lead you to peace unless it's anchored in the truth of God. All those who love truth seek it and will come to him. Matter of fact, so much is this so that this body here today probably should know this verse pretty well. John 14, 6, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You want to know truth? You need to know God. And the way you know God is through the person of Jesus Christ. That is truth. Now, believers, I know there's context to this passage, but like I said, we're, un, we're, we're going layers through the doctrine that's here. The doctrine is here is that God is true and that we're going to, like Paul, resign ourselves to a God who is sovereign, which gives me peace in a tumultuous world and gives me a mooring in truth that the world does not have. And what it means is that if you live your life by the truth of the Bible, do not expect that the world around you is going to accept that truth as well. Regardless of what the world does, though, you have a decision to make. Will you anchor yourself in the truth? Or will your, or will your life be yay, yay, and nay, nay? In other words, this is true to me of this part of the Bible, but this is not true to me. I want to accept this portion, but I don't want to accept this portion. By the way, have you ever heard someone who is living in what is called the alternative, life, alternative lifestyle say they love God? Someone who says, I'm a believer in Jesus, and I am anchoring myself in immorality by living my life in a way that is deviant from God's plan and still say, but I love the Lord. What you have is a yay, yay, and a nay, nay. And what it feels like is squishy. It feels like squishy nothingness because it isn't true. But anyone who doesn't anchor their, themselves in the Lord for truth can be deviant in any way. You and I have a decision to make, and we need to reconcile and know that when we live our lives by the truth of God, the world is not simply going to embrace that. So we can't live our lives with the expectation that happiness will be found when I live in truth and everybody agrees with me. You have to be at peace with your relationship with God, who is the truth. Now, verse 20 we read something then about the nature of this God. For all the promises of God in him, that is in Jesus, for all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him amen, unto the glory of God by us. Now, let's break this apart and, and explain these. All the promises of God in him are yea, yea means true and yes. The idea is that what God has said will be accomplished. The idea is that what God says he will do. The idea is that God is the affirmative of truth. Going back to verse 18, but God is true. So in him is yea and verily and amen. And it means in concept that God is truth, that God will accomplish his truth, and that God will ultimately bring the amen. And the amen means several things. It is the completion of God's plan. But it means in the, in the proposal of God's plan, whatever God's plan is, let it be the amen. And the amen is, let it be so or it is so. So when we say amen, we're saying, yes, that is true. When we're saying amen, we're saying, yes, let it be so. Or it is so by my heart's consent. So when I say amen, I'm agreeing with the God who is true, with his word that is true, affirming his truth, and standing on his truth. Let it be so. Why? Because God is a God who is sovereign over all, and God will accomplish all his holy will. So there are several passages. I would encourage you, instead of turning them all, which you're, of course, free to do, but I'm not going to wait, okay? There are several passages here, all speaking to this God who is the great I am, the God who is the one who is 
the originator and designer of all his plan and all his holy will. And Malachi 3, 6, I read this. About the Lord where he says of himself, Malachi 3, 6, for I am the Lord. I change not. He goes further in his explanation of the verse, therefore ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. The idea here is I am God over all and I do not change. I'm not a yea in this circumstance and then a nay. You want to know what truth is? Ask me. You want to know what I want for your life, God says? Ask me. You want to seek truth? Come to me. Numbers 23 verse 13. God is not a man that he should lie. Neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said and shall he not do it? God is truth. And in truth, God is able in his power to do all that he says. James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no what? Variableness, neither shadow of turning. God is not squishy. And God is not pliable to be conformed to our image. God is not up for grabs to be the God of our making. He's not up for grabs to be tooled and fashioned to be placable to what I desire. God is the authority over all. And in that authority, we have a decision. Will we surrender to his authority or we will, will we live by some other authority? Every other authority outside of God will fall. Isaiah 46, 9 through 11. Remember the former things of old, for I am God. And there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me. And all God's people said, I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. The end of the next verse says, Yea, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed. I also, I will also do it. There's one last verse I would reference in Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. Why do we take such time to emphasize this truth in this passage? is because Paul is saying you can count on the message of God as being true. You can count on the God who is. What he has said, he will do. Now, verse 21, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 21. Now he which establisheth us with you is in Christ and hath anointed us is God. It is God's message that you want to hear. It's not man's message or man's flippancy that orders plans you want to be hearing from and directed by God. In verse 22, where he says, who hath also sealed us and given the earnest of, our spirit, of the spirit in our hearts. Now, this is the end of the message here. I'm gonna take time here to go ahead and go over this doctrine and this will be the end of our message this morning. It is God who is true. Paul said who has established or established us with you in Christ. He's given us a place of belonging. He's given us what the truth is. And furthermore, as a ministry of God in your life, here's a truth that you can know. It is God that has sealed us and given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. Now, there's wonderful doctrine here, and what it simply means that coming to Christ, coming to the truth, God seals us into his family.
And then doctrine there is supposed to have an impact on your life where you know your belonging. You know who you're anchored in. You know who's guiding you. You know the direction of your life. And you know your ultimate end where you will be because of Christ. And God is the one that has sealed us to himself. And the sealing is done in picturesque language here where this giving or the earnest of the spirit in our hearts is the idea of the Greek New Testament era that when there was an authority of a letter that was being sent from one royal or dignitary to another, that they would seal, put a, a wax seal on it, and then put the impression of a marker of that authority, and that by doing so, that marker said that I own or have the authority of what this letter contains. And so when that seal would then be broken to open up the truth of what that dignitary had said, it was the authority of that dignitary behind the, behind the letter that gave veracity or truth to the letter. So this is the language of us in Christ. We are sealed in God. And what that means is he's given the down payment then of the Holy Spirit as we'll see here in just a moment, who indwells every believer, that down payment of the Holy Spirit is proof of the fact that God will ultimately deliver us unto himself in his presence. And this will most assuredly happen. Everyone who knows Jesus Christ is going to be safely delivered to the presence of God and without fail. Without a reneging or a taking back of word, it is a truth that will be accomplished. And the proof of that is the down payment of the Holy Spirit. So, Romans 8 verse 9 says this, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now listen, how do you know if the Spirit of God dwells in you? You know it by the authority of what God has said and designed. And here's what he says. You either believe and have the Spirit or you don't believe and you don't have the Spirit. Every believer has the Holy Spirit. Every believer. So verse 9 of Romans 8, But you are not in the flesh but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So you're either saved and have the Spirit or you're lost. Further in the same passage, verses 14 through 16 of Romans 8, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Now let me just unpack that for a moment. To be led by the Spirit of God means that you are under the power of his influence. Where he leads you, you will go. What he tells you, you will do. And how do you know that you are led by the Spirit of God? Who are those that are God's children, those that have been called and those that have responded to the gospel message. That is a leading of the Spirit. So those who are led of the Spirit have surrendered to the gospel message. And from that point on, we grow in our understanding of what it means to live a life that is led by the Spirit. He says, for you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of, an important word, the spirit of adoption. The spirit of adoption where we are made family in Christ. It goes on to say, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit, it's, the spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Everyone who knows Christ has something a part of their life that you cannot see but is certainly an influencing person in your life and that is the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God, I'm going to tell you this, the Spirit of God is what draws God's people to come here today. The Spirit of God is what draws you on your Monday to walk with Him. The Spirit of God is who draws you to read His Word. The Spirit of God is who draws you to pray. The Spirit of God is who draws you to trust in God. The Spirit of God is the one who corrects you in your thinking throughout this week. He lives with you every day. Amen. 
and every moment of the day. He is the motivating person and factor behind the believer's life. I've used this word several times, but he is our mooring, he is our anchor, he is our foundation to live in this relationship with God through his spirit. Not every believer fully understands or is fully surrendered to that truth. But I want to tell you something about that. You don't even have to know it. If you know, the, if you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, the Holy Spirit is going to work on you and draw in your life a relationship with him of fellowship constantly, daily, in a growing fashion. He's the one that's doing that work in you. So much so that you have a truth in 1 Corinthians 6 that is kind of mind-blowing. You know the passage, but take your Bible there. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and we're almost done. Lunch is almost ready. I'm just trying to get a sense if you're hungry. All right, so much so is this down pain of the Holy Spirit Think about the doctrine of the Spirit in this last passage. Now, I'm referencing that God has sealed us, that we will be in heaven someday. And he's given the down payment of the Holy Spirit in our hearts right now. This truth then reflects in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Think about this. What? Know ye not that your body is what? Listen to that. Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have because you earned it, because you deserve it. No. You have the Holy Spirit as a gift of God. You have the person of the Holy Spirit as a gift of God in your life. And you are not your own. And he goes on to say, for you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And we could say it this way, which belong to God. All right. This brings us in to the end of the passage, but now for a pastoral application. Look, folks. We've got some decisions about how we live life. And God has given his person to indwell the heart of every believer. And I want to ask you, are you glad for that? I want to ask you this. What would your life be like if you didn't have the Holy Spirit indwelling you? Do you think you can navigate life on your own? Do you think you can find truth on your own? Think you're smart enough to figure it out? Who are you going to listen to? Who are you going to listen to? Now, I, I hope I'm not stepping off into crazy territory, but I'm going to take a moment. I don't know a lot about this individual, but I'm going to mention them because they are, I think, influential because they have what? Money. Who's the richest person on the planet today? Do you know? I'm, there you go. Who said it? Who said that over there? Brady, you're right. According, according to what, at least I think I know, reportedly the most wealthy person on the planet is Elon Musk. How many don't know who he is? Is, is he, is, does he run Amazon? What is it? Tesla. Does he have influence on the planet? Uh, I, it was a big deal that he sold shares of Tesla, I think, recently or something. I don't know. And everybody pays attention to what he's doing financially. Okay? Now, I don't think I'm misrepresenting because I heard it from his mouth. You know, but Elon Musk is one that believes that our planet is a ticking time bomb and that global warming and everything is going to bring everything 
down to a loss of existence. But he also believes in extraterrestrial life and talks about aliens and the possibility. Because somebody has money, do you believe them? Bill Gates has said some things. Does he have some money? Not anymore. Do we listen to people because they have money? Is that where the anchor of truth is? Do rich people sometimes, this isn't an indictment against being rich, but are there rich people of the world who are foolish? Just like there are poor people of the world who are foolish. The standard of wisdom is not money. Agreed? Where is our hope? Where is our anchor? It has to be in truth if you're going to find any peace at all. So come to Jesus, whose name is Wonderful, Counselor. How's it go next? Is it saying the mighty God, the everlasting Father? And then it goes on, the Prince of Peace. So I got, I got last thing, and I'll share. I'll share uh, just a moment here. I am so thankful for a God who has a plan for our lives. And I'm going to be selfish again and just say this morning about my life, Jason and I had the opportunity last night to lead someone in their 60s to Jesus Christ as their Savior. Yeah, praise God. Now, don't, now, fam, now family, don't get me wrong, okay? I, and church family, don't get me wrong. I, and I'll try not to be teary about it. But, you know, um, when you go through hard things, sometimes you don't, you struggle, right? And you struggle with, you know, why, why am I here? And, and, and what does God have for me? Sometimes it's difficult to get out of bed. Sometimes it's difficult to navigate a day. And I know that, I know that God lets me be, and I'm thankful for these things. I'm thankful that God lets me be with my family and, and try to be there for them. I, I feel weak and inept at that. I feel the same thing for my church family. Uh, I won't go into all the illustration of that. But being able to be a part of sim- someone coming to Christ last night, gave me the pleasure of saying, well, at least, Lord, I got to be here for that. We hope the decision was true and genuine. And if so, what it means is that there's a new name written down in glory. A sinner who had every last sin wiped away. I had a dream. I had a dream. You ready for it? I'll tell you. For 1999, I'll tell you my dream. <laughs> and for another 1999, I'll give you the interpretation thereof. <laughs> I had a dream the other day. I had a dream the other day that I was in an accident. <laughs> I don't want any dreams about being in accidents. But could something bad happen to me tomorrow? You bunch of pessimists. <laughs> Why not today? Thank you, Pat. <laughs> I don't need to die. He died at a food fellowship choking on a turkey bone. I, <clears throat> and it was free. My hope My hope is not that I'm going to get through today without trouble. My hope is not that I'm going to get through tomorrow without trouble. My hope is in the God who is true. And that God who is true has made promises that he will accomplish. And here's the promise that he's accomplished for every 
body who knows Jesus. I'll, I'll just go ahead and quote it and do my best not to mess it up. You know the passage. John 3, 16 through 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have what? Everlasting life. It goes on in verse 17 to say, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him, what? Might be saved. The authority, the veracity of God in verse 18. He that believeth on him. How does it say I'm losing it? Well, I better go there so I don't misquote it. Is not condemned, right? Am I right? But he that believeth not is condemned already or even now. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Here's, here's what it says in the first part of that verse. He that believeth on him, it says, hath everlasting life. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And then verse 36 of the same chapter, he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Here's the, here's the truth of God. You know Jesus, you're going to heaven. If you know Jesus, all of your sins are washed away. If you don't know Jesus, you stand under the ready wrath of God. Come to Jesus. And with closing, I will say, not only has he saved my soul, but he's given me strength for today as well as hope for tomorrow. Hasn't he done that for you? So you got a choice. How are you going to live your life? And the truth of what everybody says? Or are you going to come to Jesus? What do you say? How about we come to Jesus?